like, oh, well, let me walk on over there and, and deal with that. Keep in mind, the theme I got in my mind right now is this. The level of bad changes the older we get. So I hear that, and I'm like, man, I need to go figure out what that, that little fellow said and why he's shouting that running around the playground with these other kids. So I said, I said hey, man, I said, uh, what'd you say? Nothing. I said, well, well, somebody told me you said the S word. We don't say that. He said, my mom tells me to shut up all the time. <laughs> Still shouldn't say shut up. But boy, am I glad that's the S word. <laughs> our level of bad changes the older we get. But then it got me thinking about this. Like if our level of bad didn't change the older we got, how much better could we stay? You know what I'm saying? Like if we kept the boundary small instead of trying to widen it. That's our problem. See, we want to take up the fence posts that God put and we want to just move them make our own fence posts and our own territory and our own land and, and shift it around and do our own thing. And when we do that, we allow more before we cross the fence post. When in reality, if we'd have just stayed way back where the fence post was originally put, where the S word was just shut up and not the other one all of you were thinking like I was, how much better would it be? I listened to the, not the last song, but the, the second to the last song, first song after praise time. And I was sitting there thinking about, about what the song was talking about. And it said, I, it's, it's essentially saying that, that, that the world is losing its grip on me. Solomon's almost to a point where, like, the grip is getting a little, just a little loose. You know what I'm saying? Like, he ain't got it. Don't get me wrong. But, like, that grip ain't as strong as it used to be. And I think that should be encouraging for us. I say that with, with confidence because... What you, you, a lot of us want to change immediately. We want to, we want to be holier than thou the very next moment. We want to be able to go from sitting with the sinners over here to sitting in the holy section in one week. They won't let you over here in the holy section in one week. You've got to earn your right to get to the holy section, right? I mean, just look at these people over here. But, but in reality, like, it's a process a lot of times. And a lot of times we've got to start letting that grip of the world get just a little bit weaker on us so that we can start getting the right view of our Father and His kingdom. And I think Solomon's grip on the world, he's losing that grip just a little bit through some of these realizations. If you hadn't been with us, I ain't going in no long intro. You have to check it out online. I didn't even intend on taking a chapter per week, by the way. I thought about it this week. I'm like, man, is it, is, as bad as Ecclesiastes is as a book, I wonder if you guys think sometimes like you're watching the curling of the Olympics. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I told Crystal something similar to that last night. We were going out on our date, and I was like, I I don't know. I don't know how many people come to church looking forward to Ecclesiastes, you know? Like, who looks forward to curling in the Olympics? The guy who can sweep good? I mean, I don't know. What's, what's the requirement for being a curler in the Olympics, right? But, but, but I only want to take the book at the pace God wants us to take the book. So if that's a chapter a week, that's a chapter a week. If it's half a chapter a week, it'll be half a chapter a week. If it's six chapters in one week, I, I don't care. I just, I just want to be obedient to the Father. So, you know, if you've, if you've been we're in this journal, Ecclesiastes, wisest guy ever lived. He writes this journal about life experience. He's at the end of his life, we believe, as he's writing this. And he's got, and here's something to keep in mind. He's different than a lot of us. He's got the means and the ability, the resources, to really find out if the grass is greener on the other side. He's not like you and I. He doesn't have to wonder. He doesn't have to guess. He doesn't have to assume. He doesn't have to play with one area. 
He's got the resources and the money to literally be able to buy all the grass on the other side and see if it really is greener. And, of course, he finds out that some of it's greener because it's built on a septic tank system, the drain field. He finds out some of it's greener because it's fake. You know, so, so he's checking this thing out, and he's studying this thing, and he's writing this journal to, to tell us about it so that we don't maybe have to learn from our own experience. We can learn from his experience so that we don't have to fall quite like some of the falls he goes through. And, and Solomon's problem is probably the same problem we have. He's always thinking about if I can only get more, if I could get more power, if I could get more money, if I could get more success, if I could get more time, if I, if I could get more people, if I, if I could just get more. And what he finds out is, is really beautiful, and it sounds weird to say, but in his search for searching for more, he found less. Because he's finding an experiment with all this stuff, and he's saying, well, that, that didn't really have no meaning. That, that didn't do it for me. Like, he's getting more, but he's being satisfied even less. And I wonder how often in our own life that's probably something we've encountered. We've searched for more. We've even tried to obtain more. And even in the obtaining of more, we realize that more is really, it's less. One of the things he's going to talk about today, you see the title, Loneliness. I think even when he has these three or four verses on, on the benefits of friends, I think, he's been, I think he's looking at the benefits of friendships because he's, he's lonely. He really ain't got none. And, and, and as he's writing and as he's thinking about this kind of stuff, he's realizing that, yeah, I've, I've got more, but I've, I've got less. Some of y'all think because you can get more people to join your little Facebook page and get more friends and, and, and have more, it's really less. You know what I'm saying? Like some of you, you thought, man, if I hit 100 friends, I'll feel better about myself. I know some of y'all are thinking, Pastor, 100 friends on Facebook ain't nothing. You, you really need to get up with the times. If you get a, a 500 followers on Instagram, I don't know what you need to make yourself happy and, and think yourself happy, but you find out what you thought was going to be more is actually less. And I don't know for sure what brings Solomon, because there's, there's a lot of shifts. We talked about this in this, in this journal writing, kind of like our own journals, may we write. And I don't know what brought him to his revelation today of chapter 4, but I think he's, he's, he's obtained a lot, and he's hung out with people that have attained a lot, and for some reason his brain now changing, and he's like, all those guys with more power, more authority, more money, more fame, more position, whatever it is, and he's watching them, and he's like, are they really happy? But what he notices as he watches them it's how they treat others. And that's the beginning of this, this chapter right here. Look, look at verse 1. More don't necessarily make them more, I guess I should say. Maybe, that, maybe that's, I didn't have a point for number one. I told Crystal, so I don't really have a lot of points for today. It's just going to be some verse by verse, kind of old school, which I, I kind of like more. But I know you guys are looking for like point number one and point number two. And we'll get some of those along the way as well when we get to friends. But, but, but here's the thing. More, more, more don't mean more unless you use more as more. I got it right. Yes. I've been practicing that. I didn't think it would work. I got verse one. Look at what he says. So the, he's looking at people that got more, the bosses. And he says, I returned and I considered all the oppression that's this side of the sun. If you were with us last week, he had this, this brief hope in Ecclesiastes chapter three. And, 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 and you, I put last week that he flirted with hope. He only flirted with it because he, he saw the idea, but he didn't. He didn't let chapter 3 change him. Remember, you let chapter 3 change you. You don't wait to chapter 12. We said that last week. But chapter 3 just, just was a flirt for him. But, it, but in that, and that's how he ended chapter 3, he talked about the problem of injustice, the, the problem of, of those being oppressed. Uh, he said, I looked again, meaning that he's referring back to verse 16 of chapter 3, where he said, I saw something else under the sun. 
as I sat and watched this stuff, as I sat and obtained more stuff and, and tried to observe and see what was, was going to do it, he, he thought about the place of judgment. And he said, there's a lot of wickedness in the judgment of this world. He, saw, he thought about the place of justice. And, and there's a lot of wickedness in the place of justice. And, and I'd love to tell you as Crystal goes through law school and studies more that like I'm getting more proud of our legal system, but I'm getting less. Sometimes because of stupid people in stupid positions, and sometimes just because of the nonsense of the people who put them there. I was even reading one yesterday, and I, I shared it with her trying to see if she could guess, and it was, it was out of 500 people, and I don't have all the numbers, so, so don't, don't hold me to them. It was from previous years anyway, but it was like 80 of them had been arrested with a, with a DUI, and uh, I think seven of them had been charged and, and actually served time, and how many of them had lost their license, and I think 83 of them had filed bankruptcy, and, and it's going on and on with these 500 people. So I asked her, I said, can you guess who these 500 people are? And she, you know, she made a couple guesses, and then I looked across the, the desk while I'm looking at her, and I said, that's our Congress. Now, again, those numbers might not be exact because that was a few years ago, but I, they might even be worse, which is sad. I didn't have the time to check it out, but I was like, wow. It's those that we've appointed to positions of power because more doesn't always mean more. Sometimes it means less. And he's addressing the corruption of the political system, the injustice and, 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 the, and the idea of justice and all. And he says, what it's actually bringing forth is pain and sorrow. Something that was supposed to bring forth goodness, provision, is actually bringing forth what he calls pain and sorrow. He says in verse 1, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. I don't know if you guys have ever felt oppressed. You can feel oppressed because somebody has more money than you, they have more power than you, they have more authority than you, they could be your boss. You could, be, you, you could even be oppress, oppressed by poor people. Poor people could oppress you in their thoughts. I mean, literally, think about it. You could be oppressed in all kinds of different ideas, and I guess maybe, maybe so I wrote this down for myself, maybe I'll share it with you. Well, I will share it with you now because I think it's good. If you want to test your compassion, watch others. Solomon ain't got it yet. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying Solomon's good. He's got a test for compassion right now, and he's looking out at others. He's looking out those that are oppressed, and he's looking at the political system, those in power that should be handling stuff, and he's almost weeping for them. He's sad about what's going on this side of the, of the sun. And he's, and he's saying that this is all there is? It, 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 this bitterness and if the man and the woman who's being oppressed is this is all they have to look forward to they have no comforter they have no hope then it's bitter and it brings forth tears i wonder if solomon's thinking and he's writing this journal combining a couple weeks together and he's saying i figured out there's enough stuff to provide but there ain't enough people to do so i believe we got enough stuff in the world to provide for everybody in need but it's the people who got the stuff that maybe ain't handling it the right way. Hmm. He sees the evil side of man. And maybe I, wrote, I asked myself, maybe he's even seeing the evil, evil side of himself. And when you see evil, here, here's the reality, guys. You want to talk about Solomon being able to preach to people in the church and out the church? Here's the problem when we look at evil in the world. There is undeniable evil, and the undeniable evil in the world causes people to question God in two ways. First one is you question even the existence of God. And the second one then is you question the goodness of God. Can there really be a God if all this evil is going on? And if there is a God and all this evil is going on, can he really be good? 
Now, I'm going to use a quote, and I don't need none of you holier-than-thou people to tell me at the back porch that this guy made a mistake years after he dies, okay? He's dead. He said some good stuff. I've said some good stuff, and I'm a little bit messed up myself, okay? Maybe you perfect, but I'm not. This guy's not, but I'm going to use a quote he said. We good on that? All right. I, only reason, because the site I got this quote off of, I'm, you know, I'm excited. I copied and pasted it, and I'm ready to read it to you. Then it gets this little asterisk at the bottom, and it says, however, this gentleman failed in life. Maybe you shouldn't use. And I'm like, well, I guess that disqualifies everybody in Scripture, right? So here it is, and this is Robbie Zechariah. If evil exists, then one must assume that good exists. In order to know the difference between the two, and if good exists, then one must assume that a moral law exists, by which one can differentiate between the good and the evil. And if a moral law exists, then one must recognize that there has to be a supreme moral law giver, which leads one to understand that there is the existence of God. I thought that was pretty spot on. Right? If there's evil... You must know there's evil because there's also good. If there's good, good must come from somewhere. I like it. You can use it against somebody who's wondering and questioning things. I've often said the easiest way to sum it up is evil is the absence of God. When God ain't there, evil stuff happens. Look at the world. And I don't think Solomon's necessarily questioning the existence of God, by the way, by looking at his journal and how he writes. He talks about God a lot, at least as a creator and, and things. So I don't think he's questioning the existence of God. I think maybe at some points in his journal, he's questioning the goodness of God. Right? If there is a God, then why is this going on? Now, I'm going to throw out some of mine, because, again, I know how holy you guys are. Right? So it's all right. You've never had these thoughts, but I've thought... Why would a good God tolerate such evil? Why is a good God okay with the injustice that's going on? Right? How can a good God stand idly by while so many people are being impacted by pain and evil of this world? Right? I'm talking about four or five of you that would be honest enough to think that it's okay to question some stuff every now and then. By the way, you've heard me say this before. God's big enough to handle your questions. All right, if you've got a God so small, he can't handle your doubt and your questions, then you need to find a new one because you ain't got the same one I got. I'm, tell, I'm not joking. My God can handle my questions. I've had some rough conversations with the Lord. I'm going to be honest. All right? Y'all would not have me up here preaching if y'all knew some of them. I can tell you that. But here's his sad view. He says in verse 2, he's looking at the oppressed. He's looking at how they have no hope. He's looking at how the people who, who should be their hope aren't their hope. They're oppressing them. He says, therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead. That's a strange phrase, is it not? Man. I'm praising the dead who are already dead. Now, I don't know if he's getting on a spiritual death and another death. I don't know where he's going. But I'm thinking of how sad it is that the oppressors and their victims, they're, they're dealing with so much, there's so much bitterness, so much unfortune. But this guy looks to the people who are dead that don't have to think about such painful things, and he says, man, are they lucky. Guys, that's a depressed view. He's looking at people that have died, something most of the world fears. He says, man, those guys are so lucky. It's almost a reality check. And the reality is this, there is evil in the world. That's why we get Ephesians 6 where he tells us, put on the armor of God because you're going to have to fight against it. Like it's a real thing. And unfortunately, that power that gives us the ability to overcome the evil 
often leads to oppression rather than alleviating oppression. Man, that was a tough word. I should have picked a different one. Right? Think about that, though, and ask yourself this. Seriously. Because we go get some gospel talk right here in the beginning. Power often leads to oppression rather than alleviating oppression. If God's given you a sense of power in any area of life, how are you using it? Are you oppressing somebody with it, or are you helping somebody out of their oppression with it? We've got to remind ourselves that we've been charged to help the innocent, to assist the downridden, to benefit those that are less fortunate. And I'm not talking about the government doing it anymore. I'm talking about the church doing it. Ain't, ain't a verse I read that said, vote the man in power that's going to be able to deal with the widows and the orphans. But I have read James chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, True religion that is pure and undefiled before an almighty God, the Father Abba, is this, that they will visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from this world. Ain't the government's job. This is the church's job. It's my job. It's your job as believers. Not to oppress them even further, not to, to knock them down like they don't matter, not to, to put them in a corner or on a shelf like you, you ain't got time to deal with them, you got other stuff to deal with. That's what the people in Solomon's day are doing. Our job? Our job is to purposely go get them out of the corner and off the shelf that they were put on by somebody else and nurture them back to good health. And if we would do that the right way, I think they would be so on fire for wanting to go get others off the shelf, you'd only have to do it once or twice. And I mean that this way, because you would do one or two, and three or four of them would then go get other people off the shelf and bring them back. You know what I'm saying? Like, could you imagine if we would just get one or two right in our walk of discipleship and evangelism, and then those people would go get other people and do it right? I ain't talking about making decisions. I'm talking about life change. Right? Solomon's realizing. He's opening his eyes. But still, sadly, at this time, he can only... He can only praise the dead because of he's saying about the knowledge of this world. Now, don't get me wrong. I think if, if Solomon accepted and understood what truly happens to the unrighteous dead, maybe he wouldn't say such a thing. But the whole journal, at least up until now, is still written from the perspective of this time, this time, this side of the sun. The longer we stay fixated on the horizontal, guys, the more we're going to miss in the vertical. I started talking to myself the other day, and Crystal and I were going somewhere, and she's looking across at the truck, and I said, hold on, i gotta, I got to get it right. It took me a minute to, to make sure I had it, had it right, but that's right. The more fixated we get on the horizontal, the more messed up and the more we'll miss out on the vertical. Guys, we got to start understanding. we got to start letting this world lose its grip. On us. Verses four through six. Look at him. Look at him. Turn his attention just a little bit as he's as he's thinking about the oppressed and the power of of those that are doing the oppressors. Then he then he realizes the sorrow of success. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but man, there ain't nothing sadder than the sorrow of success. Because you was banking on success to pick you up and make you feel better. You was banking on the on the success to make things right. So not only the oppressed, but the the successful too got a problem. Look at verse 4, he says, For all toil and every skillful work a man is envied by his, by his neighbor. He's saying all those that are gaining success through, through toil and skillful work, all they're really bringing about on themselves is envy and hatred from others. Now don't get me wrong, there's going to be some haters out there, okay? And that's all right, you can deal with them. But do you deal with the haters in the right way? 
he's writing from a perspective where he's looking at these guys that are doing so much to keep on gaining and gaining and gaining and gaining. And I'm going to get back to him. But he uses this word in the next verse or this section where he says, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. He's back on those that are jealous. And he says the tendency for those that are jealous of the success is just, just be lazy. Well, if they're going to do it all, I ain't going to do nothing. I'm going to sit and fold my hands. And that's the problem, not in the church, but in the whole world. we got a lot of people that want to sit with their hands folded and let everybody else take care of it. And Solomon's going to get there. How does some benefits the other way, right? Like fools, they fold their hands and do nothing. They waste away. It wasn't that the, keep this in mind, it wasn't that the success of the neighbor made them waste away. It was their laziness that consumed their flesh and made them waste away. Because we quick to always want to blame somebody else. Well, if they hadn't been, no, if you, not they, you, not them, I, own it. Verse 5, consume, that, that, that phrase, consumes his own flesh, literally breaks down in the Hebrew to say, destroys himself and brings ruin upon himself. Solomon's getting real, man. Verse 6, he says, better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping, still grasping for that, that wind, that vapor, that smoke, that, that, that hevel. And what he's getting at now is he re, he's reflecting on the, the value of contentment. Man, that's a lesson we all need to learn. Content. We live in a world where we're not content. And, and that's what he's getting at with these people that are working to get more. You realize it's better to have less and be content than to have more and always be grasping for more? If you ain't learned that lesson in life yet, that one's going to knock your socks off. I'm serious. It's going to hurt. Life is all about, at least a good life is all about balance. To know when to be working for more and to know when to say, I got enough. Rather than trying to keep up with the Joneses, is why don't we just, why don't we just be happy with what we got? Our problem isn't even that we want to keep up with the Joneses, it's that we want to, we want to bypass them. I don't want to just get even, even with the neighbor, I want to get ahead of them. Neighbor got a 500-horsepower car, I'm going to get a 501-horsepower car. You know what I'm saying? He got six inches of lift, I'm getting eight inches of lift. Right now, we, we use it at the shop to make a lot of money. But um, you know. <laughs> Seriously, though, think about it. Why are we always trying, trying to one-up somebody? Solomon's getting on this idea, and he's, he's weaving these themes together about hard work and success being good but shouldn't be envied. Then he says laziness is wrong and destructive. And, and then he talks about contentment because here's why. Look at 7 through 8. What good is your success if you can't pass it on to somebody, he's saying? What, what good is, is all that work that you put in to get, to get, to obtain, to obtain, to obtain, if all it did was tear you up? What good is it if, if all more did was make you more miserable? Right? He examines this picture and he finds two problems in 7 and 8. The first is that success comes at a steep price. Look at what he says right here in the middle. Verse 8. He says, there's no end to the toil. Today's language, we ain't never satisfied. We ain't never satisfied. Why? No matter how much you earn, it's never quite enough. You know why it's never quite enough? By the way, I can solve this for you guys real easy. Because the more you earn, the more you want to spend. It's so simple. I don't know why we try to make it so hard. We're like, oh, man, I got more money, I can buy more stuff. What, what if you just be smart with the money you got? Right? Or what if you take the money you got and you give it away to somebody else? Huh? Because then when you ain't got nothing to give away, at least you're not in debt with whatever bills you occurred. Right? You just wait until you give more away. 
He, he's saying that there's no end to this thing. He's saying that, that, yeah, you got last year's bonus and it was great, but you feel like now you've got to do this year's work so that you can get last year's bonus. You're on a treadmill never having done quite enough. You're chasing, what is it? The, we were watching the show last night and the guy was talking about, well, I guess I got the, 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 the whip, now I get the, the carrot. And, and, but you're always chasing the carrot. It's always just out of, out of reach. You keep running faster, but you can, you can never get it. Ultimate happiness just, just doesn't come this side of the sun. No job, no possession, no pleasure is enough to fill the desires of your heart. And, and this teacher, this writer, uh, Solomon, he, he says it works for a while. You ever been there where something, something makes you feel good for a while? Huh? You buy a new car, man, it feels good for a while. And then the kids tear it up. Right? It don't last. Something's messed up. It don't feel good no more. Or you got the payment behind it, one of the two, right? But Ecclesiastes hits the nail on the head. He said, his eyes are never satisfied with riches. Now, I really don't want you to raise your hand on this one, but I do have to ask, does this phrase describe you? When Solomon writes and says the eyes are never satisfied with the riches, does it describe you? Are you wise enough to know the difference? Solomon's saying no matter what we have, it never fully satisfies us. Well, the other problem behind always wanting to get more, here's where he breaks into verse 8 again, and he says the problem is, is the successful person is, is just alone. They're broken and alone. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, he says they have no other. They don't have a son. They don't have a brother. I think when he gets to verses 9 through 12 in a minute, he's thinking they ain't got no friends. Right? And it doesn't really bother you at the time when you're pursuing stuff. But eventually, whether you ask or your, your life forces you to ask, there's going to come a time when you've got to answer the question, why am I doing this? What's it all for? And he says, this also is vanity and unhappy business. Verse 8. More unhappiness. More lack of resolution. He's warning us not to do this, not, not, to, not, to, not to be so focused on success that we, we, we do it alone. It's not worth it. Not having nobody to share stuff with, it ain't worth it. Look, look, look at how he writes. There is one alone without companion. It's, it's almost like he's now thinking back of the, the, those that were oppressed, and he says they have no comforter. Now those that got so much, they, they don't have a companion. They don't, even have a, they don't even have a friend to do it with. They ain't even got a business partner. He's alone. He ain't got no family. He ain't got no friends. Yet there is no end to all his labor because his eye is never satisfied. He wants to gain more and more and more and in the pursuit of more and more and more you don't ask the question of why am i doing it you don't ask the question of what does it really matter it's only at the end when you're sitting there writing a journal can you get to what he says when he finally does ask and think about why am i really doing this what benefit did it really have what gain did i really get out of it we will never be content because we will never be satisfied you guys ever met a workaholic I'm not talking about, and understand the difference. I know some of you guys have grown up in generations and, and, and in time frames where you got to work to pay the bills. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about somebody who becomes such a workaholic that they got the bills paid and they're just now working to get more. Solomon writes and he's thinking in these verses that, that, that that's a lonely person because he ain't going to have no family, he ain't going to have no friends because how can he have a friend if he don't have time to spend with a friend? Right? If they're a workaholic. And, and the sad part is this. I wrote it down this way, and I don't know if this is necessarily biblical, but it's a reality of this side of the sun. Your family's not going to care about you when you finally care about them because you never cared about them. 
So when it does finally knock you in the head and you realize all that you missed out on, all that you lost in your pursuit, it's going to be too late. I think the most foolish decision people make is believing that they can overwork now so that they can spend time with their family later. Guys, I, I try my hardest, and I think we do a pretty decent job. There's a lot of flaws, no doubt. But I sit and watch my, my kids grow, not just in height, but in maturity and, and emotionally and every other level. And I'm like, they're growing so fast now. So fast. Like, like I, I, I'm so glad that I haven't missed out on some of the stuff that I haven't missed out on. And I think Solomon's writing this thing. We know his knuckleheaded son's going to take over, and, and he's not happy about that. But I think as he's writing about this thing, he's saying, you know, the problem is we think we can do all the work now and just enjoy our family later. But when we go back to our family later, they're not there. And I'm not even saying your marriage had to end in divorce. I'm saying your wife won't be there. Your spouse won't be there. Maybe you didn't sign no papers. Maybe maybe y'all still living together, but but your children, your spouse, they're not, they not there. Because you never stop to ask, why am I doing it and what's it costing me? You'll have friends when you're available to spend some time with them, right? Look, look, look a little further here, right here, what he's about to go into. Even this side, and here, here's, what, here's what I mean, like the world is you losing a little bit of grasp on him, right? Because he's going to go back to an idea from Genesis. Verses 9 through 12, he realizes even living this side of the sun, living alone is miserable. He's going back to Genesis chapter 2, where God sat and looked at all the creation. And he said, man, I'm so happy with everything I've made. But then he looked at Adam, and he said, Adam needs a comforter. Adam needs a friend. Adam needs a helpmate. And he brought forth a helpmate for Adam. And Solomon's writing, and he's saying, and all this, this pursuit, and all these achievements. I wonder, you, you got a picture and this, this, let me stay on the side from the podium. Y'all know the rule, right? Biblical, in between, unbiblical. <laughs> we hope to never get too far that way. So I said, like, what is the idea? Like, maybe Solomon's sitting up in his palace. We know that in his palace, he could overlook all the stuff that he had achieved. But then he's looking at it, all of it, and he's like, man, look at them fields I made. Look at the buildings I made. Y'all see that building over there? It's got all my sports cars in it, horses and chariots, right? Like, it, it's got everything going on. Y'all see that house over there? It's got one of my wives in it. That one got a baby mom in it. That one got a baby mom. Like, he got all this stuff. But then he looks around the room that he's sitting in, and he realizes, I actually got less. I'm actually missing I'm missing out on so much. <laughs> we grew up without cable. I know that's hard to believe for y'all's generation, but we didn't get cable. I think that was freshman in college, I believe, but we never had it in the rooms, at least at the house, right? So if you wanted to watch something in your room, you had three, sometimes four channels. You could get up there and work that, that uh, antenna right. Bend it and twist it and maybe even try some of that aluminum foil like you get one extra channel and you felt like you had done something, right? So I ended up watching this show. <laughs> I don't even know why. But, but the song has always stayed in my head because I watched it. And, and it's got a theme song that says this. Some of y'all going to know it. I'm going to read the words and I want you to think about it. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. They're always, listen to the words, they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see that all your troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody 
knows your name. Now, for those without cable and older than me, what show am I talking about? It's the theme song of Cheers. I want you to listen to them again now because we're laughing because it brings back some memories. But, but here, I'm going to give you the sad revelation after I read it again. I, I tried. I tried and I looked at my wife and it was automatic. Mm. And I love my wife and I want her to love me back. So I don't want to ruin none of that, right? Sometimes you want to be where everybody knows your name. Wouldn't it be good to just go places where everybody knew your name? Right? Where those matter to you. Some of y'all are like scared. If you're living right, you ain't got to be scared if everybody knows your name. Somewhere where you're, you're glad you came. How many places do you go a week where you're not glad you went? You're not happy you're sitting there. Some of y'all right now, I'm going to go ahead and say it because I know you're thinking it. Some of you ain't glad you're here. That's all right. I think your friend or your spouse or your parent that made you come. But there'll be a day where you're glad you came. Where you can see, you look out and you see that the troubles of everybody around you is all the same. Like-minded people. Fallen people that need grace and mercy. People that get excited when a daddy says, one of my own accepted Christ. People that cheer with you. People that cry with you when you've lost. I want to be where I can see all the troubles are the same. I, I want to be where everybody knows my name. If y'all younger generation didn't get the chance to ever watch Cheers, I'm sure there's reruns all over the place. Cheers was a bar. This theme song was written about a bar, but everything I read in the theme song should apply to the church. Tell me what part of it don't. Tell me what part of it don't. I want to go to a church where people know me. Now, some of y'all thinking, no, Pastor, you want to go to one of the big churches where you sit in the back and nobody recognizes you. No, that's miserable. You're not part of a body of Christ. I want to go where people know me. I want to, I want to go somewhere where I'm glad I came, not where I regret that I went. And I'm not saying every Sunday sermon is going to make you, oh, I'm so glad I came. I pray not because that means I suck at my job. Because some days you're going to need to feel like you ain't glad you came. But you're glad you went. And you're glad you came back. Seriously. I, I want to be full in a body of Christ where, where I'm with like-minded people. Where I can say, Cliff, man, I screwed up this week. Here's what I did. And he can say, I screwed up too. Right? What if I say, what if I say, Todd, I screwed up. And Todd says, man, you suck. I ain't never screwed up in my whole life. I couldn't find nobody perfect out, out, out in, the, in the West, so I moved over here to the South to try to find somebody perfect like me. Now, Todd ain't thought that or said that. But can you imagine if that was his attitude? That would not be everybody seeing troubles all the same. And I'm not saying we embrace and cheer on sin either. I'm just saying we understand that we all broken together and we be united by a father that paid the price for us so that we can be restored, so that we can all be united the same with him as the head so that we can be the body getting his job done here on earth. I'm thinking about what Solomon's writing here. The oppressed and the evil and, and all this stuff. And I think maybe Solomon realizes how lonely he is. I was saving this for the end, but I'm going to bust it out right now. You realize you can have a thousand women and not really have one? 
Now, for some of you to just think that's a random thing and didn't ain't been with us, Solomon had a thousand wives. I'm not promoting having a thousand women, right? But Solomon had a thousand of them, but he didn't really have one. Does that make sense? You can have a thousand friends and not really have one. You can have a thousand things and not really have one. Solomon's reflecting on all this stuff that he's got and he realizes, I'm so lonely because I'm only one. I'm by myself. And we read 9 through 12 and we think of marriages, and it definitely applies to marriages, no doubt. Great benefits there. I use it in pre-marriage counseling all the time. But I think this writer, Solomon, this teacher, this preacher, as he calls himself at the very beginning of the, of the journal, I think he's got a wider application in mind. And I think he's saying that when you get lonely on earth and you're wondering how I'm going to survive in this dog-eat-dog world, it's friendship. The right friendship that can solve a lot of problems. Now, even him, this side of earth, it knows that friendship's a good investment. Look at what he says in verse 9. Two are better than one because they got a good reward for their labor. He's saying a good reward also could be translated a little bit more accurate in Hebrew as a good return. Meaning this, that the friendship, the dividends are paid, it's a wise investment. You can't beat it. It's better to invest in people than it is to invest in stuff. If, you, if you're writing notes, write it down this way. It's people over possessions. People over possessions. Watch Jesus' ministry. That, that's how it rolls. We spend all our lives trying to get more and more and more and more, and all we're doing is pushing what really matters further and further away. Rather than building relationships that mass, try, try, trying to make friends. Look, listen to what Proverbs says. Same writer, different stage in his life. And he writes for chapter 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. It's too good not to use the verse because so many of y'all is expecting somebody to just come on over to you and buddy up. This wise guy realizes it ain't good to be alone, but if you want to get a good friend, you better be the initiator. Huh? Be the initiator. Stop sitting there thinking, oh, so-and-so should just come over to me, and they should love on me, and they should want me. Ain't nobody want you. And the only way we get to true friendship is when we find out just how bad you is and choose to keep you. We're going to get to that in a minute, too. What Proverbs is writing, he's saying, man, you got to initiate it yourself. And I think he's right. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. You want some friends? Go get some. Because the longer you sit in a chair waiting on them to come to you, you're going to be lonely. Right? And that's sad. Because then you just get bitter. Well, I just wish they'd come on over to me the way they go on over to so-and-so. You don't know so-and-so called them last night and made them come over the first time. Let me get on these characteristics of real friends. Now you get some points to the sermon. We're just getting started. <laughs> characteristics of a real friend. Number one, a real friend helps you when you're down. We talked about the benefit, but this is characteristics of it. A real friend helps you when you're down. Verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone and falls and has nobody to help him up. How miserable is the one who falls down and ain't got nobody to help him? This preacher, this writer, he understands that everybody needs help. Everybody. And it's a blessing to both give it and to receive it. Few people got real, real friends. I said it a minute ago. You want to know how you can tell the difference? Because I know some of you are thinking, like, how do I know who my real friends is? Your real friends is there when you get in trouble. 
right? It's there when it ain't so pretty, right? Your real friends are still around when you're in the mud. Now ask yourself, how many real friends you got? I ain't talking about somebody you can cheer on whenever you scored. I'm talking about somebody to step on you when your team lost. Here's a good illustration for you, for real. Make sure I can get this right. It's when you got to call somebody at 2 a.m. in the morning, and they respond not with what, but with where. Now, let, let me elaborate so you make sure you understand that, because that's good. It's when you call somebody at 2 a.m. in the morning. It means, it means you're in a miserable state, and at 2 a.m., there ain't nothing good happening at 2 a.m. Everybody know that. So if you get a call at 2 a.m., that means somebody's in a bad situation. And you can answer the phone, and you can say, what did you do now? Or you can answer the phone and why are you putting on your pants and shirt say, where am I going? You see the difference? Not a friend that goes with what, but a friend that goes with where. Where am I going? Who I got to get? Who we taking care of? Now, y'all holy people don't understand that, but some of us unholy people, we, we there for somebody when they need somebody to take care of. Right? And we there to take care of who need to be taken care of. I got a little bit of Jesus' righteous anger too, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Me and Peter would have hung out good together. <laughs> now, I keep that thing buried. We don't bring him back out. Proverbs chapter 17, 17 says, a friend, <laughs> a friend loves at all times, and a brother's born at adversity. That's taking it to the next level. This wise guy writing all this stuff and understanding the benefit of having somebody else to help you when you're down. Now, on the flip side of that, guys, that means you need to understand you need help when you're down. I think Solomon missed out on a lot because he would never acknowledge the fact that he needed help. Too much pride. Too much pride means you never ask for help, means you never get that intimate relationship. Number two, a real friend is someone that provides emotional and physical warmth in a cruel world. Look at verse 11. We always use it one way, but I think we missed something in it, right? Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm together? It's talking about comfort. Anybody like to be cold when they go to sleep, do they? Now, I'm not talking about some of them hot summer nights. I'm talking about like right now. You know, when you shivering before you go to bed. You don't, you don't want to go to bed and just sit there and shiver the whole time. Like you, you wrap up in a, in a blanket and you get all, all warm and cozy. Or when you sit on your chair right in front of the fireplace, you got your, your coffee cup going and you, and, or hot chocolate if you don't like coffee, you center. Oh, you know, you got the blanket wrapped around you and you, you got your slippers on and, and you, you got your hoodie up maybe a little bit. You, you're comforted. You feel good. And that's just physically, but I think we, we have a, uh, a tendency to miss that it goes so much different than just the physical side of this thing. Yes, I understand. They traveled back then, and when they traveled, they had to stay in the desert, and they did need a friend to keep them warm at night, a cuddle buddy, right? And ain't nothing wrong with having a good cuddle buddy, as long as it's your spouse. <laughs> Don't be cuddle buddy when nobody ain't your spouse, all right? So, so, so he's got his cuddle buddy, and there's that side of it. But I think he's also thinking now, as he sits back and looks at all this stuff, he's saying, I need somebody to give me emotional strength. I need somebody that when I'm facing the battle and I'm wondering, how am I going to get through this right now? I need a friend that's going to come up and give me the, the emotional warmth. I need somebody that's going to make me feel just as good inside as that warm fire and a blanket and a cuddle buddy makes me feel on the outside. Right? I, I'm going to get real with you guys because here's the reality. You need to do a self-check on this. There are some people you hang out with, they will suck your emotional tank to empty. Okay? And whoever you just thought of just now, somebody you need to stop hanging out with. 
I'm not saying stop ministering to them. I ain't saying stop praying for them. I'm just saying that ain't the person you need to be investing all your time into. Because they will suck you dry. But there's also some people that you hang out with them and they'll, they'll fill your tank to overflow. You know what I'm saying? Like all you need is a text or, or a 30-second break with them. And it's enough for you filled back up and ready to go again. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's the person, and then you become their emotional drainage because you always stuck up their butt. Because you want, you want to be full. Ain't nobody want to be empty, right? You always want to be around them. You want to get, you know what I'm saying? That, that's a good friendship, though. Right? So, so here's the evaluation. Ain't no do you no good to learn Scripture if you ain't going to evaluate your life with Scripture. Here's the evaluation. Which friend are you? Is you sucking somebody's tank empty? Or is you filling somebody's tank up? He says a, a, a good friend will bring comfort. What categorizes you? You bringing comfort or are you bringing discouragement to somebody when you're around? You, make, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you're just around certain people, you're uncomfortable. You leave and you're like, God, I wish they wasn't there the whole time. It was a great experience. Some of y'all thinking that right now about church. I know. You, you was glad you came until you got here and you saw somebody else and then you was like, great, now it's uncomfortable. There's people like that. It's a re- Remember, Sol- Solomon's not prescribing nothing. He's describing stuff. That's the difference in Scripture, by the way. I hope you get that. Scripture don't always prescribe something. It describes stuff. It's, it's a book. It's describing what's going on. It's describing reality. The reality is some people are going to suck you dry and you don't like to be around them. But also the reality is you can get filled up with the right person. Number three, a real friend is somebody who will fight to protect you and your reputation. I added that in after last night. Just thinking. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A true friend brings security and safety. It's that person you can trust. You can bring anything to them. Now, I know he's writing specifically about a military strategy where they would have to go out and they would fight hand-to-hand combat. And you wanted a partner who would stay back-to-back with you and protect your side. Now, understand what that means. That means you're fighting with somebody that you trust. Because if you're fighting with a chicken and a scaredy cat and a little wimp, as soon as danger comes, he gone, and your back is now open to get stabbed. I need somebody that's going to stick it out with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need somebody that ain't afraid to draw the sword when the sword needs to be drawn. You know, like, I need somebody that's going to defend. Some of us got too many friends that want to stab us in the back rather than protect our backs. Right? They're standing back to back. They're fighting so, so an enemy, they're protected all the way around. And he's saying, that, that's a true friend. A true friend is going to protect you while you protect them. A true friend is there for the security and the safety. A true friend is the one that, that, that when the fight starts, they're putting on their britches and asking where. Where are we coming? Where are we going? What do I need to do? How can I help you? Not what got you here. Not, there's a time for the what. Don't get me wrong. But the time for the what ain't in the emergency. I hope you all realize that. In the emergency is the time for the where. Now, afterward, you can say, now, let's think about this. What did you do to get there? And what you going to do different next time? Right? But that ain't the time for it. In the, emer- in the emergency, you get out of it. Look at what he says. Talking about human relationships, he says there's productivity. Good reward. There's help in need. One fall down to help his companion. There's comfort. Keep warm. And there's safety and security. Two can withstand. Then, then he gets to verse 12. And I know we're talking about a brother that's lost right now, kind of. But something in his brain 
Something in his heart makes him write verse 12 where he says, A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This side of the sun, he realizes that I can have the very best friends in the world that do all this stuff I just talked about, and a two-cord strand can still break pretty easy. So he says, but, but if I get me a three-cord strand, you ask anybody that's ever done any kind of rope work, play with stuff, ask some redneck that done pulled out a bunch of trucks out in the mud, ask somebody that done climbed a tree, ain't nobody wanting a two-cord strand when, they get, when their life's on the line. But you get that third cord, and that thing gets inter, intertwined and, and roped in there with them things, and what do y'all girls call it when you do your hair? It's braided in there just right. And when it's braided in there just right, it keeps everything together. It's so much stronger. It's so much more powerful. And if you ain't understood where I think Solomon's going, it's the fact that this, the third cord has to be God himself. Now, I know a lot of people, they read it and they're like, no, man. Solomon's saying that kids, kids is the third cord. This is talking about marriage. I don't remember ever arguing with my wife before we had kids. And that's not a joke, I promise you. I really can't remember arguing or debating about anything in the entire time we was together until them little babies come around. So I don't think the third cord that makes me stronger is them little aliens. <laughs> Right? Plus, I think Solomon, you can't tell me when you read this, Solomon's not going much deeper than marriage here. Right? He's not focused on that. He's looking at this, this, this thing where two would break, the third, the third makes it last. Guys, I'm telling you right now, if you're building friendships and all you got is two cords, eventually it's going to snap. If you build, if you need it for marriage, that's fine too. If you're building a marriage right now and it's just you and your spouse, it's going to snap. Too many things can get in the way. Too many things can fray a line. Too many things can weigh too much. But if, if you if you build a relationship, a lasting relationship, this side of the sun, then you better have the Lord with it. And he better be intertwined in it. Because not only does he make it stronger, but he'll make it last. I'm going to go into this fourth thing real quick on a different verse, and then I'm going to come back to it at the end, just so y'all don't get lost if you're a note taker. Number four. A real friend is committed to helping you grow spiritually. I can't read that third strand idea and not think Solomon is now trying to think at least, even though he's all confused and, and, and writing and observing a lot of stuff. Something in that confusion, something in that unhappiness, something in that vanity, something in that, that vapor made him start to think, like he did last chapter, that is, maybe there is something different. Maybe there is something, something more. And if there's something more, I need me a friend that's going to help me grow with something more. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Just keep that thing up there. We're going to come back to it, right? Solomon had surrounded himself by a lot of people. Yet I don't think he sat back and thought one was genuine and real. And there's some people in this room right now, they, you've surrounded yourself with a lot of people, a lot of stuff. Even some successes. Oh, I got this going, and I got that going, and, and this makes me feel good, and this ignites me, and this, this fires me up, and this makes me ready. And I, oh. But you ain't got nothing genuine, nothing real, nothing that's going to last whenever the bubble gets popped. I said earlier, 
He had a thousand women, but he didn't really have one. He could be surrounded by a lot of stuff and miss out. Many people all around him, yet nobody there to sharpen him. Nobody there to sharpen there's something. There's something special about small groups. I love you guys. I really do. I love every one of you, I promise. But I love Wednesday night when I sit in a room with 12 to 15 men. And we open up a Bible and nothing more. And we just start discussing scripture. There's something special about the small. Right? Jesus had his 12, but Jesus also had three. Jesus knew the difference in breaking it down, right? There, there's a time for every size group. But you've got to have every size group. Jesus had his inner three. Perhaps if Solomon, here's where I'm going. Perhaps if Solomon had a true friend, it wouldn't have took him 12 chapters to figure something out. You know what I'm saying? He'd have figured it out earlier. Perhaps if Solomon had a true friend, he wouldn't have wandered so far away. Now, I know what, what, what we, we believe just because we studied it way, way back. What, you know, Solomon, as he got married, he intertwined with other religions and other stuff. Maybe he wouldn't have wandered so far away if he had been intertwined with the right thing. Yoked with the right thing. Maybe he wouldn't have stayed in his search for so long and tried so many things and saw so many ideas fail. Maybe he wouldn't have been, and I don't know. But I think when he gets to verse 13, he's got something on his mind, something on his heart. It says, better, I know it was a while for, since we read it, better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. I think he's thinking of himself a little bit. I don't know it, but I think maybe he's right, and he's saying, man, when I was, when I was younger, before having a thousand wives, before corrupting my political viewpoints, before trying so many things, I, I relied on a, on a wise person to come along and help me. He relied on his mama a little bit. Right? All you mama should amen just now. Right? He was, he was early, so, 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 so he had to rely on somebody at some point when he was young. But he says, as I got older, I got more, more foolish. Now, we're supposed to learn, so I, my, my, your goal is this, not to get more foolish the older you get, but to get wiser the older you get. He says for him, he got, he got more foolish the older he got because he quit paying attention to warnings. He quit listening to the advice. He quit letting iron sharpen iron. For he came from prison to be king, even though he was burned poor in his kingdom. I don't know exactly for sure what he's talking about. There's a lot of stories like that. I saw the living who moved out under the sun to follow a second youth who succeeded him. L listen, though, listen, here it is. There is no limit to all the people who were before them. He had a great following in the beginning. There's some people that get a great following in the beginning. Right? There's some people that get large Large popularity when things are so smooth and exciting and got events going on and all that stuff. And that's what he's saying. I, I get cracked up. Here's one thing I get cracked up on. I get cracked up every time there's a new president. Because they do this thing like, like maybe a, a week later, a month later, and they say, his approval rating is 95%. I bet it is. He ain't done nothing. I got an approval rating of 100 before I start speaking to y'all. You know what I'm saying? It got to be 100 because y'all came. Now, don't get me wrong. As I start speaking, I, I know that approval rating just goes on down. <laughs> right? But that's what he's saying. He's saying the, the approval rating is dropping 
because of the feudal world and the less you rely on the advice of others. If you keep not taking the advice of others when it's there for you to take, if you, if you only do what you're forced to do, then your approval rating is dropping. He says, if, if, you, if you don't have you a, a Proverbs 27, 17 friend. Now, when I, I'll be honest. When I, when I first used to always think of Proverbs 27, 17, I, I sound like a little kid now. I think of like, y'all ever been in them restaurants where they cook in front of you? And that fella take them knives. He just makes a lot of racket. That's all he's doing. Y'all don't really think he's doing anything else, right? No, pastor, he's sharpening the swords. No, he's not. You go and try it with yours and see if it works that way. He's a clinging symbol is all he is. But that, that's how it hit home. Because that's the picture. I'm thinking iron sharpens iron, like sword sharpening sword. And then the other night, almost a month ago now, I guess, we was playing with an axe. Axe chopping wood. I did a couple, getting a fire ready. My boy said, Daddy, I want to swing the axe. So he swung the axe. He didn't hit the wood in the right spot, so it just get a little, little nip on the wood. Maybe a little piece flew off one time. He'd swing the axe again, swing the axe again. He'd, he'd dent it up. He'd, bis- he'd beat up the floor. He'd beat up the ground. He, he was beating up all kind of stuff. And you realize the longer you do that, the duller your axe gets as well. See, iron sharpens iron. Some of us, is, some of us need to understand he ain't saying iron sharpens wood. You hit wood long enough, you actually get dull. You hit wood long enough with a dull axe, all you're doing is bending up some wood, bending up some wood, knocking some dings in it, right? The reality is this, two, two blades can't really sharpen one another, so he's got to be going deeper than that when he says iron sharpens iron. There's got to be something more to it, right? How many men, well, not do you sexist, sorry. How many men or women have ever sharpened a knife? Now, have keep your hand up. Now, how many of you sharpened it the old school way? I ain't talking about that thing you got in the kitchen where you just pulled a knife through it and you all done. How many of you took a stone, had to put a little oil on the stone and get the blade angled at just the right angle and get that, that twist motion just enough, that pull back just enough where, where you get it just right? How many of you have used a file? Maybe just on a chainsaw, if not a knife, right? There's a lot of tools used for sharpening stuff. A lot, of, a lot of different edges, a lot of, a lot of different textures. So might it be then in the reality of people who probably knew how to sharpen iron pretty well that when Solomon writes even this, he's encouraging myself and any other strong Christian that wants to be sharp that you've got to surround yourself with enough different tools <laughs> that sometimes does mean a lot more friction to get yourself sharp enough. I was thinking about that last night and this morning, man. I, I, need, I need friends with, with different wisdom and willingness and, and difficulty and all kind of different perspectives of life. Because sometimes, sometimes I surround myself with a lot of sand. And if you ever hit sand with a blade too many times, all you know is you're dulling a blade and making it useless. But sand is soft, isn't it? It's nice. That's why I love the beach. I put my feet in the sand. I feel so good. I lay out a blanket. I can lay on the sand. It's, it's better than any mattress you can buy. Like it, it's, it's nice. It's comforting. But sometimes you don't need to be nice and comforting. Sometimes you need a tool. Sometimes you need somebody 
that's going to work in a wide variety of your life. That's not going to dull your edges, but that's going to also reshape you. Any of y'all watch Forged? I don't know if y'all guys watch. Good, cool show. These guys take metal and they shape it into all kind of different cool blades and they, they do stuff with it and then they sharpen it and then they show who got it. I mean, it's just awesome. But I, but I look at their process and I can't help but think about a verse like this. After a gentleman goes through a whole section writing about how miserable it is to be alone. To understand what Proverbs 27, 17 and what, what Solomon's coming to, to reality with is this. We need a lot of friends that are different from us. And different can be a good thing. Different can challenge you, but you need you a friend, a mentor, a leader who's going to be strong as steel in their faith. And yet whose shape, whether it be a stone or a file, is going to be different enough to provide just enough resistance to your life that they can get you shaped and sharpened just right. Now here's your evaluation question on that. Which one are you? Are you dulling some blades or are you sharpening some blades? Are you reshaping? Or are you just continuing to pound on something and not accomplish nothing? You see, that's the problem. You ever, you ever watch somebody just keep on swinging and hitting? We didn't even have a good axe. We was actually using a mallet. Any guys that know the difference between an axe and a mallet, that mallet's just got this, this big old end on the back of it. It's made to get into wood, and then you got to take another tool to chop the crap out of it to finish shattering the log. Sometimes we need a couple tools to get us right. Sometimes we need to be a tool for somebody else. And as crazy as it sounds to mix it all together, at some point along this journal, Solomon's going to realize something I hope you realize today. You don't have to do it alone. You, you got an outstretch. And I tell people all the time, it is not a sign of weakness when you reach out to those around you. It is a sign of faith. Because Scripture commands you to reach out to those around you to build you up, to make you stronger, to get through stuff. So stop being ashamed and stop being worried. If you're, I mean this with love. If you're really that ashamed and that worried, you're probably in the wrong church. I mean that with love. Because if you're surrounded by people that you're scared of sharing your intimate stuff with, you're probably surrounded by the wrong people. Surround yourself with the right people. Be the right person for somebody else. Fill somebody up. Don't suck them dry. And if that don't work for you, then maybe the, the first best friend you could ever get is Christ. Greater love is no one than this that he will lay down his life for another. You want to talk about somebody to keep you warm, both you physically and emotionally? You want to talk about somebody to defend you and your reputation? You want to talk about somebody that's got your back and ain't going to stab you in it? You want to talk about the greatest productivity this side of the sun? Then you make sure you're united with the one who's in control of all of it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for Solomon's writing. I thank you for this journal, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the tough stuff. <laughs> Lord, in front of this church right now, as I pray and talk to you, Lord God, I go ahead and apologize for what I told my wife yesterday, that this is a tough book. I don't know why you picked it. Because, God, it ain't about what I want. It ain't about how tough it is for me. It's about what you want to get out of it.
So, Lord, I pray right now as we sit, as the, the music gets ready to play, Lord God, as we get ready to, to worship you, Lord God, God, you get at it today inside your people what it is you wanted to get. Dive in deeper than I can, Lord God. God, I can only speak to an ear. You speak to the heart and the brain, Lord God. God, you accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish in your church and your people this morning, Lord God. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen.